With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. That means that you're committed to Tua Tagovailoa for for quite some time, and I'm not totally sure that that is what the Dolphins need. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast. I'm Dave Hellman, and I'm not going to lie to you. Feels a little weird. Feels a little surreal up here in front of the microphone with no more football games until September. I'm like Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands. No, no matchups to know, no games to prep for. Just months and months of offseason. The sweet thing about football, there's, there's so few games. Got to cherish them. Fortunately, let's let's not get too dramatic with it. The NFL has mastered the art of turning this season into a nonstop thing, and we will be here with you throughout the offseason to cover all of it. Just because there's no more games, you can't you can't drop off now. You got to stick with us. Free agency, the draft, literally always something. The only month on the calendar the NFL hasn't figured out how to completely monopolize is maybe June. So, yeah, you're going to want to keep it here. Please go subscribe on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. You can go follow us on all of the socials, whichever one you prefer, at NFL on Fox Pod. I'm, a, I'm an ex, a, a Twitter guy myself, but we're on the gram. We're on the talk. We're on Facebook. If you still do that, wherever you prefer to find us, you can find us there. Please stick with us throughout the offseason because that's the fun thing. Like I said, Look, the, the Chiefs are celebrating their Super Bowl today and more power to them, but we got work to do everywhere else in the NFL. The scouting combine is just about two weeks away in Indianapolis, one of the most influential weeks of the year in terms of getting ready for the upcoming draft class, figuring out what's going to happen in free agency, the wheeling and dealing. It all starts soon. And do you realize the start of the 2024 league year is less than a month away. March 13th is when all of the signings become official. So I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm sure some deals will be agreed to, some trades will be done before then, but everything starts. Everybody can sign their new contracts on March 13th. We are so close to the free agency frenzy already, and on and on and on until it's time for training camp and the games are ready to go once again. I don't know about you, but I never get tired of it. And if you're listening to the NFL on Fox podcast. I bet you're the same way. So without further ado, we got, we got time to dive into a lot of this stuff 
in in deeper detail. But we wanted to do this show, this this first true show of the off season, as just sort of a, a primer for what to look forward to in the coming months. So we're gonna do the off season outlook, maybe the the teams and the storylines that are going to make this off season interesting. The biggest pivot points around the NFL. So we're gonna look at a handful of teams that are gonna shape the coming months. We're actually gonna get an assist. Our good buddy Henry McKenna is coming on to help us talk through some AFC East teams. But let's just start it out. We made a list of seven teams that are most likely to affect the offseason. And I think this year it starts very obviously with the Chicago Bears. Yes, the Chicago Bears, who were so unfun to watch for much of this season are one of the most influential teams in the 2024 offseason. That is the benefit of doing a massive trade down in the draft a year before. Not only do they have roughly $67 million in a cap space, they have the eighth most effective cap space heading into this offseason, but they've also got a haul of draft capital thanks to that trade with the Carolina Panthers. Maybe you've heard they hold the Panthers' number one overall pick in the draft. They pick ninth overall thanks to their own middling record. And even with the trade to acquire Montez Sweat during the season, they still have the number 75 overall pick. So on top of money to burn, so much draft capital that they can use to better this team, that in itself makes it interesting because they're going to be a a markedly improved team no matter what they do. But that is what makes it so interesting is – the Bears have the biggest choice in the NFL, I think, this offseason when you talk about owning the number one draft pick in a year with several quality quarterback prospects and also having a very up and down but very talented quarterback in Justin Fields. The hell of a choice in front of them. Fields just finished his third year. Bears have until May to pick up the fifth-year option on his contract, and, and if they want to, they could build around him. They kept Matt Eberflus as their head coach. Ryan Poles has been here for a few years at this point. Do you build around him? Do you trade out of the number one overall pick in the draft and try to get another haul? As good as having one and nine looks, would you rather get more picks for the future, more picks in the first or second round, get your second round draft pick back? And think of what you could do. I can hear so many Bears fans saying that. Think about what we could do with all those picks. We already got DJ Moore and 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 Justin Fields has Cole Komet. And, and we've got Montez Sweat on the defense with all these picks. Think of the team that we could have. Or, obviously, do the Bears draft a quarterback at number one overall? Do they take Caleb Williams, who... You know he's talented because NFL fans have known who he is for two years at this point. One of those prospects like Trevor Lawrence, who he's on everybody's radar multiple years before he comes out. It's it's a defining choice because it's going to shape the rest of the draft. If the Bears draft a quarterback, how does that change all of the dominoes everywhere else? Obviously, it'll it'll keep teams from trading up into the number one spot. It'll also take the best quarterback off the board and put him in Chicago where the Bears could build around him. I mean, imagine a quarterback number one overall to the Bears, Chicago fans, and then you draft a top-tier receiver at nine overall or, or an offensive lineman who could help keep him clean, which was a problem for Justin Fields. And for that matter, what does it mean for Fields? Where does Justin Fields go if he's not the quarterback in Chicago? Because 
despite some people claiming this is possible, I just don't see the logic in in maintaining that drama of having the last first round draft pick at quarterback hanging out behind your new guy. I don't see the logic. Where would Fields wind up? Surely the Bears would try to trade him. Surely they would try to do it before the NFL draft so that they can use that capital. Maybe you add a second or a third round pick to your draft capital heading into that weekend. I saw as recently as as today, as I'm recording this, God, God bless the gains that gambling has made in football over the last few years because you can bet on where Justin Fields might wind up. And apparently the betting favorite right now is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I certainly see the appeal there with Arthur Smith as the offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh, what he might be able to do with a with an athletically gifted quarterback like Justin Fields. That's a lot of fun. Atlanta, Denver, Minnesota all jump out to me as teams that might be interested in a Justin Fields. So where does he go? How does that change the trajectory of a different franchise? And then obviously it would all be about the quarterback drafted number one overall. I would assume it would be Caleb Williams, but maybe they fall in love with somebody else. I mean, it was Mitch Trubisky going above Patrick Mahomes that got everybody into this situation in the first place. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And between the ability to add talent in free agency and then this choice at the top of the draft, I think it makes the Bears, if not the most interesting team in the league for 2024, definitely on the short list. I think we're going to get an answer sooner rather than later. Like I said, I would imagine Fields gets dealt before the draft if that is indeed what the Bears are going to do. I think it is, but watching how it all plays out is going to be so much fun. That's what makes the Bears top of the list for most interesting teams heading into 2024. My next most interesting team, I think the Arizona Cardinals are going to be a pet cat for me in 2024. I'm fascinated to see where they go after being surprisingly competitive. Remember, everybody wrote them off, and I know that they're picking fourth in the draft order. They were still a heck of a lot better than everybody thought. $42 million approximately in cap space. They rank first, according to PFF, in draft capital heading in to this year's draft. Remember, they did the draft day trade with the Houston Texans that allowed the Texans to get Will Anderson, Arizona drop back. I'm sure they thought that that would go a little bit better. I don't know if anybody saw the Texans winning as many games as they did, but still, you look at it. The Arizona Cardinals pick 4th, 27th, 35th, 66th, and 71st. Thanks to another draft day trade, they got a third-round pick from the Tennessee Titans. That is a lot of opportunity to add talent to a team that was already surprisingly feisty. And we don't think Kyler Murray, we don't think quarterback is going to be their issue. Everything coming out of Phoenix is that Arizona officials believe in Kyler Murray. I don't blame them. He looked incredibly good, in my opinion, coming off of an injury. For him to bounce back that quickly really looked like he'd missed no time at all. I've got no problem with Arizona if they want to build around Kyler of course, you got to worry about the potential loss of a guy like Hollywood Brown, but Michael Wilson, the young wide receiver, had a nice rookie season. Trey McBride looks like a dude at tight end. There's, there's talent to work with there, and you got $40 million in addition to a bunch of good draft picks. I just think the Arizona Cardinals, they were feisty last year, so I can't say feisty again. I think the Arizona Cardinals could be a pretty damn good team in 2024. I can't wait to see how that take ages, but yes, as one of two teams with two first-round draft picks, the other being the Bears, the Arizona Cardinals, 
absolutely have an interesting offseason in front of them. My first two teams on this list had bad years in 2023, not the Detroit Lions, not my next team on the list. But I do think they are one of the most interesting teams in this offseason because of how much better they can be. And I'll admit, I did not think that when they blew that 17-point lead to the 49ers. I agreed with Dan Campbell. It's really hard to get back to the conference championship game, and I didn't know if the Lions would be capable of doing it again. And obviously, I don't know for sure that they'll ever be back on that stage. But having dug in to what the Lions' offseason looks like, I am bullish on this team to be one of the NFL's best moving forward because they are, shockingly enough, ahead of schedule. The Lions have been so efficient at this rebuild that they've managed to get to conference championship weekend without actually having to invest a ton of money. You think about the guys that have fueled this run. They haven't had to pay Panay Sewell yet. Amon Ross St. Brown still on his rookie deal. Aiden Hutchinson as well. And then obviously your Jameer Gibbs, your Sam Laporta, your Brian Branch. Of course, those guys are still on their rookie deals. They're rookies. They're just now finishing their first year. That means the Lions have a shocking amount of cap space, roughly $50 million worth of cap to play with. And if they are willing to increase, uh, excuse me, extend Jared Goff, which I think they will be, you can push his salary down as well and create even more. The Lions could be flush with cash by the time free agency opens. And that means money, not just to re-sign the likes of Panay and Amon-Ra, but also to bring in more talent from outside your roster the draft capital, not as sexy as it has been for the Lions in past years. They rank 25th, according to PFF. They, they pick 29th. They pick 61st. They also have a pick at 73. That's not going to knock your socks off, but just keep in mind what Brad Holmes has already done for this team. He's drafted all those stars that I just mentioned are thanks to Brad Holmes over the last three years. He got ridiculed last spring for drafting Gibbs, Laporta, Jack Campbell, Brian Branch, Sure as hell played a big role in the Lions getting as far as they did in 2023. Even if they just add one difference maker with those draft picks on the screen, four picks in the top 100, you hit on one. This was already a team that was a handful of plays away from a Super Bowl. I can't guarantee anything, Lions fans, but on paper, this should be one of the best teams in the NFL heading into the season, and that's what makes this offseason so interesting and so fun for them. So when we made this list with my wonderful producers, we realized two of the teams we wanted to highlight were in the same division, the AFC East, a division in flux heading into 2024. And in particular, I wanted to highlight two teams that are interesting for two very different reasons, the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins. But our guy Henry McKenna has been coming on all season to talk AFC East, so why not bring him on to help me preview what makes this year so interesting for the Pats and the Fence. All right, Henry, we got all offseason to get to the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. They're, they're interesting for their own reasons, but their situations feel at least a little bit more settled to me. I wanted to bring you on to talk the other two AFC East teams because when you talk about the New England Patriots and the Miami Dolphins, it feels like a lot is in flux for both of these teams and in different ways. So I want to start with the New England Patriots because I think – they are one of the short list of teams that has the most potential for change. I mean, they are absolutely going to change. They're top five in the league with a projected $66 million in cap space. And on top of that, they're in one of the most interesting spots in the draft order because they don't get to decide who goes number one in the draft or even number two. 
But hanging back at number three in the draft, I think they have the most interesting choice in front of them, whether that's take the next best quarterback, trade out of the pick, maybe take the best player, non-quarterback player in the draft. There's, there's a lot of ways that this can go. And on top of that, they got a new head coach in Gerard Mayo, and they don't currently have a general manager. So it's anybody's guess which way this goes. Where do you see the offseason heading for the New England Patriots? Yeah, well, let's start with that draft position because it's, it's, it is a very compelling spot in part because it feels like the Patriots like don't have a lot of power. Like when there are three great quarterbacks in, or at least like, you know, that's sort of the consensus right now is there are three very good quarterback prospects, but all three of those top three are, are likely going to be a quarterback. Then it's sort of like a weird thing where it's like, okay, but do the Patriots actually think that whoever falls to them at three is a franchise quarterback? Do they really believe that all three guys are sort of built equally um, or at least equal enough to take, take a QB at three. So you, you see what I'm saying, right? Like if, if you're at three, you're sort of powerless to pick your franchise quarterback. That's not really how you want to be. So right. as much as they have a tremendous amount of draft capital, it feels like they don't have a lot of draft power. And I wonder whether they're going to feel like they need to secure their position, uh, their quarterback position, you know, going into the draft whether they might want to build some flexibility uh, for the possibility of having to trade down or um, I mean, I don't think they're going to trade up, but, but maybe they feel like they need to get up to get to two because they really feel like there are only two elite quarterback prospects. Um, but I feel like they're in a place where they might end up wanting to move, uh, which is, which is going to be something like they're going to be in the heat of smoke screen and, uh, smoke screen season is what I like to call, you know, the month of, of April mostly. Uh, and then they're going to be sort of doing their very best to figure out, you know, is anyone trying to trade up to two or one, even most likely two, right. Is, is the spot that's more reasonable. Um, and which two quarterbacks are going to go off the board at one and two. Um, and, and that's just sort of half of your question, right? We, we, we haven't even gotten to the $66 million that they have to spend. Um, and I do think some of that's going to go at quarterback. Um, Joe Flacco, for example, is a name that, you know, will start to probably pick up some steam. Alex Van Pelt is the offensive coordinator in new England. And he comes from Cleveland and Cleveland just made a crazy run with comeback player of the year, Joe Flacco, uh, into the postseason. So maybe there's a reunion that might happen there. Um, that sort of solidifies the position, but they have, no shortage of options at quarterback. It's sort of a weird year where Kirk Cousins, you know, could be available. Russell Wilson, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, um, Gardner Minshew. Uh, who else? I mean, the, the list is is uh, potentially quite long. I mean, it's not likely it happens, but maybe Kyler Murray uh, becomes available. So, man, like we just talked about, sort of feels like infinite opportunity. I could talk for five minutes about, you know, what might happen? Well, we're not we're not quite done. We I mean, there's so many. Yeah, there's so many permutations here. I mean, hey, three days after the Super Bowl, purely spitballing. But wouldn't it be fun if Jacoby Brissett went back to New England to be like their bridge starter in a situation where maybe you don't have a shot at the quarterback you'd prefer at the top of the draft? But 
I, yeah, I mean, it seems logical that the Patriots get a veteran in there and whether it's at the top of the draft or somewhere else, maybe a guy like Jacoby Brissett or yeah, Joe Flacco could help a young quarterback come along gradually. Yeah. Jacoby Brissett is definitely a fun option to consider given his history with the Patriots. Uh, he was the third stringer in new England behind Jimmy Garoppolo um, in that sort of series of, uh, you know, the sort of awkward phase in new England where, you know, there was a jo- uh, jockeying for power between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And then ultimately it seems like maybe Kraft intervened and asked uh, Bill Belichick to move on from, from Jimmy Garoppolo not long after he moved uh, on from Jim- Jacoby Brissett. Um, but either one of those guys could potentially come back and be a bridge starter uh, for Gerard Mayo. Pretty sure Gerard Mayo was Jimmy Garoppolo's teammate, which would probably mean he was Jacoby Brissett's teammate too. Uh, so that would be a fun full circle moment for the the player, the teammate to to get the opportunity to coach one of his uh, former teammates. Um, and, and I think that's the kind of move the Patriots at the very least need to consider. They need that guy in free agency who's at least like, you know, the 30th to, to 25th best. Or that doesn't sound like a great uh, person to target, but it's important um, so that they have, you know, I'm, I'm, they're going to probably draft a quarterback. Maybe it won't be at, at three, maybe it'll be in the second round. Um, but that gives them a little flexibility. If you have a Joe Flacco, a Gardner Minshew, a Drew Locke, a Jacoby Brissett, a Jimmy Garoppolo, then you at least have something in the hand, right? And then you, you get to worrying about what's, what's out there in the bush later. Another thing that I think is worth pointing out is it's easy to get swept up with, the $66 million in cap space, whatever the final number winds up being. I can't help but think back to a few years ago, though, when Bill Belichick splurged to offset some of the loss of that talent, the the infamous Jonu Smith signing, they bring in Hunter Henry. And, I mean, the Matthew Judon signing worked out really well, but for the most part, it didn't go the Patriots' way when they decided to do that. So I wonder if they learn from that and say, hey, we don't need to splash all of this cash in one year. This is going to be a gradual process. So exactly how much money they're willing to spend, I think that's worth watching. And then, yeah, the other, I think maybe I'm oversimplifying, but I think it just comes down to, at the end of the day, how does the league feel about these top three quarterbacks? Because, I mean, we know all about Caleb Williams and Drake May, and then Jaden Daniels is right after that. And if if the league sees Jaden Daniels as a guy worth taking at the top of the draft, then to go back to your point, I think the Patriots do have a lot of power. But if that's not the case, then that does put them in a very, I don't want to call it a precarious situation because drafting third overall is still a good spot to be. But it, it maybe does change up their options. Is it as lucrative to trade out of that pick? Do you kind of get stuck there drafting maybe a Marvin Harrison Jr.? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch how that dynamic of how much power they have at the three-spot holds. Yeah, and and to your original question about spending, Robert Kraft, the Patriots owner, did make it pretty clear that the Patriots were ready to spend this offseason. He sort of poo-pooed their spending spree back in 2021 when Belichick, shockingly, honestly, uh, broke a lot of spending records uh, in that in that spree that you were talking about that involved like Nelson Aguilar, one of the bad signings, um, Matthew Judon, one of the good ones, and a number of other guys, including Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. We might see something similar happen where they're trying to piece together, you know, the right, the right kind of rebuild. 
I think what might be a little bit different about this one um, is maybe younger guys, right? Like th- those were those were some pretty established uh, players in their own way. Um, and I think maybe they might target uh, some more upside and, and honestly be willing to spend a little more money, um, it, which sounds crazy because that was like a, a big spending spree in terms of um, free agents. But actually, when you look at the contracts, like they weren't actually breaking any records in terms of like how much spending they were spending. Generally, each like big spend was at about the 30th highest paid average annual value, right? So that's like a bottom end top starter, if that makes sense. I could see this time, this spending spree be like, they go after Calvin Ridley and they make him the highest receiver paid on the market, right? Or, Or something similar if, for example, Michael Pittman doesn't get tagged by Indy. They're going to make a really big, aggressive swing. Another one that I kind of like for New England is Denell Hunter. Uh, that's a guy I could imagine Gerard Mayo has a lot of respect for. Um, so big swings could be uh, on New England's horizon. And then, yeah, like you said, speaking specifically about those three quarterbacks, it's like, you know, the NFL seems to really like but not love Caleb Williams. And then these, you know, I'm very curious at the combine, what what comes out of these evaluations with Drake May and Jaden Daniels? Are our teams really sold as much as, you know, these mock drafts are, are, are sort of presenting them to be on those those two in particular? Um, because Jaden Daniels, I, you know, I have I have to really get in the weeds on him, but like it anytime a guy rises as meteorically as as he did over the last year you have to like apply some skepticism and then similarly with drake may who was a guy that a lot of people thought would be you know a surefire top two pick and and he basically is now but he had a bad season you know there were parts of that season that were not super impressive and the film is really inconsistent he's a projection player and and you're picking like a big projection player at two that feels risky. So I think there's some inherent risks in those two guys. And I'm, and I'm curious to see whether, you know, well, I'm just being conservative in my evaluation of them or whether, uh, you know, there are some people that I speak to at the combine that, that start to feel like that's the case, uh, you know, league wide. I think regardless of how it goes, it's just evidence that the Patriots are fascinating because for the first time in forever, they feel like a blank canvas. And I think it's worth keeping in mind what you just said about Robert Kraft. This guy watched his team go to 10 Super Bowls, and he hasn't been close to that in a long, long time, by NFL standards anyway. I'm sure he's going to be pushing them to do what it takes to get them back into that conversation. It makes the Patriots very interesting to me. Let's flip it to the other side. A much better roster right now. But the Miami Dolphins have so, so much work to do this year. I mean, they're currently projected something like $50 million, $52 million over the upcoming salary cap. They've lost a lot of draft picks because of aggressive swings that they've taken. They currently just have two draft picks in the first four rounds of the upcoming NFL draft. So that's not having a lot of draft capital on top of needing to get under the cap. Does that mean you restructure people? Does that mean you have to cut some guys? Obviously, a Tua Tungavailoa extension could be part of that. What do you think the priority needs to be for the Dolphins just to sort of keep this thing rolling? 
Yeah. So when you're 50 million over the cap, uh, you got to make some sacrifices. And um, I think a name like Emmanuel Ogba, that's a guy who's probably not with the team next year. Um, there are a few contracts that you can take a look at and, and talk about restructuring, asking players to take pay cuts. Um, it'll be a good litmus test of how much faith there is in Mike McDaniel. Uh, he, he's, there's no doubt about his talent as an X's and O's guy, a remarkable innovator when it comes to offense. But when it comes to leadership, to see a team collapse two seasons in a row at the end of the season, I am curious, but in no way sort of ready to make any takes about what's going on there. Just curious to see how the locker room responds, right? Because like in an off season where they're 50 million over the cap, but they feel like they really are, you know, just this close, they're right there uh, for a Super Bowl. You know, maybe you approach some guys to take pay cuts you approach some guys to restructure in ways that's not the most favorable to them. Cause generally restructures are favorable to a player. It's like, Hey, do you want to take $10 million right now instead of waiting for it as a game check next year? And the players are like, yeah, of course I'll take $10 million. Um, but you know, if a restructure is a little more complicated and it potentially means, you know, it's like another word for a pay cut. Um, that means that the players need to have faith in Mike McDaniel and, so will the leadership be able to impress upon the players, you know, that their, their monetary value might be going down a little bit, but that they are like as valued as ever, um, you know, on this, on this team, stuff like that, basically where you're selling your own players um, to take discounts. The other thing, like we talked about, or like you talked about is Tua. Um, they have to make that decision pretty darn soon um his his cap hit is jumping up i believe to about 25 million uh for for 2024 what they can do is extend him and that relieves a great deal of, of salary cap space um in theory they could make his his salary one million dollars uh and then prorate his signing bonus it could be a very large signing bonus over his contract so that his cap hit is, is not that large for 2024. And then, and then they have a little more flexibility. Um, but that means that you're committed to Tua Tagovailoa for, for quite some time. And I'm not totally sure that that is what the Dolphins need. I don't know exactly what they want uh, because Tua, you know, there was that, it wasn't a report, but uh, Mike Garofolo talked about, you know, how, Tua could potentially make the case that he deserves to get paid like Joe Burrow at 50 million a year. And that's just, I just don't see that. Uh, Tua's not there yet. Um, Tua's really not showing us that he can win in cold weather, that he can win in postseason, that he can win in really adverse circumstances. Um, and so I don't think it's going to be a complicated situation. That is a pressure cooker because the Dolphins need that cap space. Tua wants to get paid. Does that force the Dolphins to give up more money than they would normally have planned to to a quarterback that, you know, I think maybe thinks he's a little bit better than he actually is. Uh, but Mike McDaniel seems pretty sold on him as a, as a quarterback. So ultimately, I think they might end up overspending, not just because they want to keep Tua, but because they're in this salary cap crunch. That's what makes the Dolphins so interesting to me is, in my opinion, you, I mean, you got two choices. 
you either sign Tua, which gives you the cap relief. And yeah, I mean, it, look, I'm not trying to get too anon on my case, but it sounds a little <laughs> scary to me to commit to Tua for four, five, six more years. But it gives you the flexibility to keep rolling with this crew of players. You got into the playoffs two straight years. You're in the mix. You can add add talent in the draft, maybe free up enough cap space with restructures to go get some more free agents and just try to finish this push and see if you can do it. Or on the flip side, if you don't feel good about Tua, then it sort of feels maybe you're not resetting in 2024. But, I mean, look at the rest of the core of this team. I mean, Teron Armstead's not getting any younger. Neither is Jalen Ramsey. Neither is Tyree Kill. If you don't move forward with Tua – it feels like this could be the last year of this go around with this core of talent that's made them so exciting. So I would expect them to sign Tua because it gives them the most opportunity to try to see this thing through. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I like the way that you put it because it's something I've been thinking a lot. It's like, do they just want to see whether they can do this a few more times? Um, because that, even when you extend him, uh, you still get to keep most of the pieces in place. The question is, is that just an example of madness, right? Like they say that madness is like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to get a different result, but you don't. Um, I kind of wonder if that's kind of what might happen here in, in Miami. Like I worry for them that if they keep building the roster in the same way, and that, that would be effectively what they're doing if they're extending to a, and they're just kind of like trimming some of the, the fat on the roster in order to get under the salary cap, make a few like small veteran free agent signings that sort of fit, like fill those holes that they have on the roster. They already have a new defensive coordinator. Um, is that going to be enough really to push them past this like weird mental blockage that they have at the end of the season where they, they tend to lose a lot of games, including the most important ones in the postseason? Um, or, you know, do they feel like they, they are really just this close? Are they really just about to turn that corner and be, you know, that Super Bowl contender that, that they thought that they would be after trading for Tyree Kill and developing Jalen Waddle and getting Mike McDaniel? Um, and I am a little concerned for them because I, I, I don't know if, they, if that recipe that they have is really sustainable, just given what we've seen. I'm right there with you, man. And I mean, I, this, you could call it a cautionary tale because this is the, you know, everybody wants their team going all in, taking big swings. I think the Dolphins are where you land when you take those types of swings and it doesn't work out. Now, I'm not going to kill them for that because I think always take the big swing, always gun to try to be in a Super Bowl if you think you have a shot. But you wind up in some kind of gnarly places when that doesn't work out. And that seems to be the offseason that's in front of the Miami Dolphins. We will keep an eye on both of these teams, Henry. We'll have so much more to check in with you about as the offseason goes along. But as always, man, I appreciate the time. Yeah, glad to be here. Stay well. I'll see you soon. Henry and a few of our other Fox Sports writers actually just collaborated on a top 100 free agents article. Who's the best of the best that's going to be available starting in March. Make sure you go check it out. FoxSports.com and the Fox Sports app. Thanks as always to my guy, Henry. Let's keep the list pushing with two last ones that are interesting for less exciting reasons, much like the Dolphins will say. But I did want to highlight two teams 
that seem like they have their work cut out for them this year. For starters, one of the local teams here in L.A., the Chargers, a very, very exciting year, which makes them a very, very exciting team because they hired one of the most qualified coaches in recent memory in Jim Harbaugh, guy that built the Niners into a contender, then built Michigan football into a college champion. Now he's back in the NFL. And as exciting as all of that is, and as much attention is going to be on the Chargers because of him, Jim Harbaugh's got his work cut out for him. Yes, the easy part is done. L.A. has a franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. Save the criticism for somebody who cares. I think Justin Herbert is one of the most naturally talented throwers of the football in the league. I get it. He's got to win something at some point. But I can think of a lot worse places to start a rebuild than around a guy his age with his talent. Yeah, I think the Chargers are going to be in good shape with Justin Herbert. Problem is, they're 30th in the league in effective cap space. They're currently projected to be $46 million over the cap number when it comes in in March or late February, whenever they actually settle that. But you get my point. They got a lot of money to shed, a lot of salaries that aren't really working in their favor, and a lot of older players. Khalil Mack, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Joey Bosa. I just named off a bunch of guys that are costing the Chargers a lot of money who are not young by NFL standards. And the GM who drafted them and the head coach who's been coaching them are both gone. Jim Harbaugh doesn't have any ties to these guys. So who does he look at and decides could save him money? I promise you some guys are going to get restructured. Some guys are going to get cut. Some guys may even get traded, but the Chargers, other than Justin Herbert, are going to look vastly, vastly different. That's not even to mention that Austin Eckler is a free agent. So really, other than Herbert, everything but him could be different in L.A. I don't think it will take Harbaugh particularly long to rebuild because he's really good at this. His track record suggests that. But the Chargers also pick in the top five and in the top 40, two, two big picks, And I'm already fascinated by the debate that's playing out there. Do they go receiver to help Herbert out? You could go get a Malik Neighbors, maybe a Marvin Harrison Jr. if he for some reason were to fall that far. Or do you get an offensive lineman to put along with uh, Rashawn Slater and keep Justin Herbert healthy because that's been such a problem. It reminds me a lot of the debate around Cincinnati back in 2021. Do you want Jamar Chase? Do you want Slater? Do you want the O-lineman that's going to protect your quarterback? Or do you want the receiver that's going to make your offense a hell of a lot of fun? I don't know. I, I, I don't know the answer. Maybe Jim Harbaugh doesn't yet either. But the Chargers are going to look vastly different this year, and the direction that Harbaugh takes it in is going to be very fun to see. Who else could we wrap the list up with but my beloved, my dear, dear Dallas Cowboys? It wouldn't be right not to feature them. And look, I get it if, if you don't want to hear it. The Cowboys fell brutally short of expectations yet again. Who cares? What you know? People were giving me grief because I had the Cowboys top 10 in my way too early power rankings. I understand it, but the talent on this roster still suggests the Cowboys will make noise in the 2024 season. But that's not until we know what they do in the here and now because this is... Much like we, you know, Henry and I talked about with Tua and the Dolphins, this is such a huge crossroads for the Dallas Cowboys because they can't put themselves in position to improve on last year until they make 
a few really, really big decisions. If you're looking at the screen, they're currently $20 million over the cap. That has to get figured out. Their draft capital, it's fine, but it's not the type of haul that suggests that they can alter their franchise, picking 24th, 56th. No, it's, it's going to be about the current team if the Cowboys are going to get better, and that starts with deciding what to do with Dak Prescott. He's got a $59 million cap hit on his current deal. It's not tenable. And I can hear Cowboy fans shouting, at least a large contingent of them, shouting that this is not what they want to happen. But the thing that makes the most sense for Dallas is to extend Dak Prescott and once again make him one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL for no other reason than to lower that cap hit so that you can afford to field a better team in 2024. They could also extend C.D. Lamb. CD's slated to cost them about $17, $18 million against the cap. If you extend him, you make him more affordable, and now maybe you can load up. Maybe the Cowboys decide to get more aggressive in free agency this year and go pursue some difference makers. I'm not going to hold my breath. That hasn't been their M.O. in a decade. But after the brutal disappointment against Green Bay – and knowing that they haven't extended Mike McCarthy, he's in the final year of his deal, maybe this is the year they make a push. But they can't make that push until they decide what to do with Dak. I, I, I suppose it's possible they could just restructure him, push his cap hit down, and move forward from there. But if they do that, Dak has a no-trade clause and a no-tag clause on the current deal, which means in all probability he would walk in 2025 to a team that was willing to pay him and the Cowboys would get nothing for it but a third-round compensatory pick. I don't know if it's going to sit well with Jerry Jones watching a 31-year-old quarterback walk in the middle of his prime and not at least getting a haul of draft picks for it. It's just not good business. And you can say whatever you want about how good you think Dak is, but he would command a hell of a lot in a trade if you could trade him. Cowboys can't. So... Their hands are tied, and how are they going to play it? Are they going to acquiesce to the leverage that Dak has over them and extend him? That's what gives them the best shot to get over the hump. That's what gives them the best shot to try to load up some talent, try to add some more players to this team, and improve on these massive disappointments of the last couple years. Will they be willing to do it? I don't know, but that's what makes the Cowboys so very, very interesting. How do they see themselves? Do they see themselves as close and just needing a couple extra pieces to get over that elusive hump and into their first NFC title game since 1996? I don't know. Do they think they need to pivot and move in a new direction post-Dak? That would surprise me, but you can't completely rule it out either. And that is what we will wait and see. It will definitely be dramatic. It's the Dallas Cowboys after all. But however it plays out, it's going to be one of the most interesting storylines of the offseason. All right, that does it for the show. And this is the part where I tell you it's actually our last show for a little bit. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere in the long term, but we are going to take a minute to reset and catch our breaths after a very long NFL season. But like I said, there's not really such a thing as an offseason in the NFL. So we will be back very soon. Our first show back will be February 27th. That is just in time for the NFL Combine. We'll be here to go through everything coming out of that. Everybody, you know, all the general managers and coaches will be there. Obviously, all the draft prospects will have so much coming out of that. We'll be here for the other key dates in the offseason as well. 
Combine, February 26th to March 4th. You're seeing it on your screen. And then after that, it is the start of the league year. I talked about that at the top of the show. Starts on Wednesday, March 13th. But remember, there is a legal tampering period now. So we're going to start hearing about trades, deals, and everything else as early as Monday, March 11th. So we're really not far away at all from the madness starting all over again. So you're going to want to keep that on your calendar. And then, of course, it all culminates, at least the, the dramatic part of it, in late April, last weekend of April, the 25th to the 27th, the NFL draft in Detroit this year. Motown getting the draft. Can't wait for that. We will, during the lead-up, we're going to cover all the top prospects, all the team needs. We're going to have every preview you need to get you ready for the draft. We'll have a hell of a lot better idea of what the draft is going to look like once free agency is over. It all kind of ties together. So that's a long way of saying we're going to be gone for like a week and a half, and then we'll be back to get you ready for everything you need to know because there's really no off-season. So even knowing we're going to be gone for a minute, please make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, YouTube. I promise we'll be back before you even know it. But it's been so much fun taking you through this season. I can't wait to restart it all again very soon. Appreciate everybody that listens, that likes, that reviews. If you're, if you're telling your friends about us, word of mouth, however, however you might do it, we appreciate the support so much, and we can't wait to do it all again really soon. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you all next time.